We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Redemption Church with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. And they dedicate the temple of God. Somebody say dedication comes first. You will never build the life you want without dedication first. Great lives don't just happen. Great marriages, great careers, big dreams, healthy bodies, minds, and spirits, they don't just happen. I know those late night infomercials make it look like they just happen. They've got those, it's a belt that you just wear on your stomach and you can eat all the potato chips you want and watch TV and suddenly you'll have six pack abs. Wrong, false, that's a lie. Somebody say that's a lie. That's an absolute lie. Everything you desire this year requires dedication. Israel had faced and defeated their opposition through God's help. They are now ready to build the temple. What is the temple? It is God's house. Before we talk about the completed temple, I want to talk to you about the promise. This relates directly to your finished product because God promises also exist to us. What God said to Abraham, it extends to you. The promises he made to the children of Israel, they extend to you. The promises he made to a shepherd boy named David, they extend to you. God's promises, they are yes and they are amen. You ought to grab a hold of his promises and never let go. Right in the middle of Israel's opposition... God spoke through two prophets, not just one, but two problems do not stop the promise of God. I want you to know when things were really bad, when things were just totally messed up in Israel, when their opposition was all over them and it looked like their opposition was going to win. God's promises were still coming from heaven to a prophet and to the people. Problems do not stop the promise. In the middle of the problem, look up and open your eyes. Look up and have faith. Look up and open your ears because God's promise often shows up in the middle of problem. Now you can go fact check that in your Bible. But every time the promise comes, it's not when everything is hunky-dory. It's not when everything's wonderful. No, they are slaves in Egypt when a promise comes to a man named Moses. Moses, you're going to be my man. You're going to go and you're going to set my people free. It wasn't when they were all seated out nicely by the by the beachside and and drinking one of those drinks with the little uh, umbrellas in it. No, it was when they were groaning under the labor and burden of heavy stones as they were building a Pharaoh's temple. And although that looked insurmountable, that was the exact moment that the promise of God comes. I got good news for you if you're facing problems today. If you got problems, I believe God's promise wants to speak to you right in the middle of your problem. Ezra chapter 5 verse 1. Now, Haggai, the prophet, 
and Zechariah the prophet. Can y'all count? How many prophets have we counted so far? Two of them. Haggai and Zechariah, a descendant of Edo, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God of Israel who was over them. In the middle of your opposition, listen for the voice of God. Don't quit coming to church when things are hard. Don't stop praying. Do not put your Bible down. Get your Bible out. If you're in the middle of a problem, you definitely better be looking for the promises in God's word. God wants to talk to you, and it just happens that he wants to talk to you in the middle of your trouble. In the middle of an unfinished rebuilding project, God sent word to Israel through two prophets, Zechariah and Haggai. Two of the minor prophets who spoke in major ways as Israel came out of exile. Zechariah received visions about the importance of the temple. Everybody say temple. Temple. He gave a message that Israel should not give up because what they are doing is important. What they're doing matters. Somebody could receive that promise today. Don't you give up, mom and dad, because what you're doing is important. It matters. Don't give up. I know there's problems on the job, but don't you dare give up. Don't grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you faint not. In other words, if you don't give up, you will reap that harvest. So that is what Haggai told them. Uh, That's what Zechariah told them. Zechariah gave a message that even though we are in the day of small things, big things are coming. Perhaps you know the scripture. Don't despise the day of small things. That scripture was about what? It was about the laying of the foundation of the temple. It was about a city that lied in, that lay in ruins. It was about a people that weren't sure uh, about their future and they were, weren't so sure that they could ever overcome their past. And to those group of people, that scripture came. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 10 is that scripture. This is one. They, they have these wonderful little pins. They're called highlighters. I love to see people. Mark up their Bible. This is a verse that you ought to mark up for yourself. Zechariah 4, verse 10. Who despises the day of small things? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord which range throughout the earth. All right, so what's that plumb line? That's a construction element. That's how you make a level thing. That's where you and I would get out a level. They would draw a plumb line and it would make a straight mark, all right? We still have some uh, items like that. You may be in the day of small things. You might be in the middle of the struggle, but somebody needs to hear the word of the Lord, and somebody needs to hold on to the promise. What you are doing is important. It really is. I don't even know what you're doing, but I want to tell you this. God set you to do it. God gave you that job. God gave you that ability, and God woke you up this morning. It means that God wants you to go about that work. So it may be the day of small things, but you just watch what God can do on any day. 
This is the day that the Lord has made. Who are you to ever call it small? Who are you to ever think that this day can't be amazing? The Lord who created all things. He has made this day. And we will what? Rejoice and be glad in it. Can you rejoice and clap your hands for a moment? God has given me this day. Some may call it a small day, but God never calls it a small day. Never. We serve the God who took the small shepherd boy and he defeated a he defeated a giant. We serve the God who took small armies. He actually took small armies, made them smaller, and made them even smaller. And then he went and wiped out enemies that could not even be numbered. Those armies were so big. And God took a small man named Gideon and made him a general of a puny army to defeat those people. We serve the God who took five loaves of Bread And he took two little pieces of fish and he fed 5,000 people. We serve the God who takes the small and he does huge miracles and wonders. That's the God that we serve. Haggai brought a message that harmonized with Zechariah's message of small things. Haggai chapter 2 verse 9. The glory... Of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Now, this is an amazing promise. This is also a great example of a dual prophecy, meaning two. It's a double prophecy. So let me teach you for a moment. In this version of the NIV, it says the glory of the present house. It is, I believe, better translated as former house or the older house. I need everybody's attention. The older house. Everybody say the older house. house. What is the older house? Well, we're talking about the temple. So we are talking about Solomon's temple. And at the moment that he is speaking this, where is Solomon's temple? It's gone. It's been destroyed by the people of Babylon who took Israel into captivity. The temple that Solomon built, torn down. And the prophecy is that the present house or the latter house, the house that Israel at the time they're receiving the prophecy that they are going to see that is called Zerubbabel's temple. The house that will be built is going to be more glorious than the former, the older temple. Y'all see that verse one more time. The glory of this present house, the latter house, will be greater than the glory of the former house. The newer house, the house that's coming, is going to be more glorious than the house that no longer is standing. Are you following me? It's a dual prophecy because it speaks to the immediate and it also speaks to what is to come. The prophecy of Haggai 2 and 9 speaks to the immediate. The people who are trying to build the temple in Jerusalem, they needed to know that God was going to do more glorious things with this former house, with the latter house, than with the former house. But it also spoke to what would come later. And still speaks to us today. How? Here is how. 
God is talking about a more glorious temple. Everyone say a more glorious temple. So this is not only, it not only applies to the temple that, that is built in the book of Ezra, but it also applies to things to come. Jesus was the human temple of God, the tabernacle of God. We are told in 2 Corinthians 5.19 that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. We are told that the word became flesh and dwelt among us in John 1.14. The word that is translated as dwelt among us in the NIV is actually the word tabernacled. That the word became flesh and it templed, it tabernacled among us. Jesus is the very temple housing God's spirit in the flesh. And Jesus is that far glorious temple that was to come. Now do you see how it's a dual prophecy? The temple that is coming, it is much better than Solomon's temple. The temple that is named Jesus is far better than the temple, the tabernacle that they drug around the wilderness. It's better. It's more glorious because Jesus is far more glorious. Jesus said, in three days, I will tear down this temple. And they were all upset because they thought he was talking about Zerubbabel's temple. But it was clear to us that he was talking about his own body, about his own flesh, about his own tabernacle. That's John chapter 2, verse 19. But greater than that temple is still to come. See, this is how deep prophecy goes. It always goes deeper than you think it's going to go. In fact, Jesus himself tells us of a greater thing. He says, greater things will you do because I have left. Is that what he says? John 16, 7. What is he talking about? He's saying that you now become the temple of God. God's Holy Spirit is dwelling inside you. That is a more glorious temple. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? I'm telling you, God living in you is a far more glorious temple than Solomon's temple. God living you inside of you is a far more special temple than the beautiful temple down the road with its stained glass windows and its pipe organ inside. The same spirit of God that was in Christ is available to everyone. How glorious. If you have not experienced the glory of being filled with his Holy Spirit, it is for you today. Before today's over, I want to meet with you. I want to pray with you because you can be God's dwelling place. You can be a far more glorious temple. Now, as good as that is, as good as it is for Jesus to come dwell on earth, and as good as it is for the Holy Spirit to dwell in you, maybe God's not done. There is still a more glorious temple that is to come. The temple of heaven is going to come where? To earth. He looks up and he sees the temple of God coming down. How far does it come down? It lands at earth. 
You know what? You can never find a verse where it says it leaves. You can never find a verse where God says, I'm going to remove my temple and take it back up to a cloud. No, it comes to earth and it will be here forever. Guess what? The Bible says something powerful in Revelations chapter 3, verse 12. It says that you can be a pillar in that temple. Him who overcomes, I will make a t- pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. Now, as we read along in Revelation 21 and 22, we see that this is no ordinary temple. Now, it's described as a temple with a pillar. But I want to tell you, this temple goes further than human imagination. Revelation 21 and 22 says this, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. You see, there is no physical church building. One thing we will not have in heaven is a bunch of denominations with their own names everywhere. Come and we come and worship at this church and come worship at this church. And they meet at the at the Golden Corral after church and they don't even like each other. And if you've never seen that, I don't know if you've ever been to Golden Corral on a Sunday. But no, we're talking no physical temples. I really appreciate Martin Luther, but you know what everybody who follows Martin Luther calls themselves? Lutherans. And we got the Wesleyans, also known as the Methodists, and everybody names themselves after the founder of their church. And it makes me kind of want to scream because the founder of the church is no other than Jesus Christ. Oh, let that be the only name that we have down here on earth. Let me tell you, it's not the only name we have down here on earth yet. But one day, that temple of God that is Jesus Christ comes back down to the earth and it will be the only name. In fact, he is going to write that name upon you. We just read it. You see, there is no physical temple. The temple is the very presence of Jesus Christ in this city, the new Jerusalem, heaven come down to earth. The presence of Jesus will be our temple and his presence will be everywhere. It will be everywhere. The temple will fill the entire world. Never again will we leave the presence of this temple. Some point we're going to dismiss and you're going to walk away from this meeting place. But in heaven, no one will walk away from the meeting place of Jesus Christ because that temple will fill everything. His presence will fill everything and you will never be out of his presence again. Guess what? There will be no more death. You know what it's replaced with? (laughs) Only the presence of our God. There will be no more child abuse. Why? 
because it's been replaced by only the presence of our God. No more hatred and no more murder and no more racism because only the presence of our God is here. Nothing to fear, no worries about war, only the presence of God. There will be no more poverty. There will be no more sickness and lameness. There will be no more funerals. Only the presence of our God. And you can't leave this temple. The temple can never be destroyed. No one can can turn off the lights and say the temple is now closed. We'll meet you back here same time next Sunday. Hallelujah. The glory of this latter house is greater than the glory of... Of the former house. Clap your hands if you believe what I'm telling you today. A more glorious temple is coming. And that is a prophecy that spoke directly to them in that time. And it is also a prophecy that speaks to our future. And we call that a dual prophecy. Want to tell you a more glorious temple is coming? But what does that mean? What does more glorious mean? Because Solomon's temple was actually bigger in size than Zerubbabel's temple. So more glorious does not mean bigger in size. You agree? Solomon's temple was more opulent and more expensive. The elements that put it together were greater in monetary thinking. So more glorious does not mean more wealth. And Solomon's temple was a wonder of the ancient world. Other world leaders like the queen of Sheba marveled over that temple. So more glorious doesn't mean more popular or having more notoriety. At the dedication of Solomon's temple in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, it's one of the more amazing supernatural displays of God's spirit in your Bible. It says that the glory of the Lord entered the temple and filled the room with a cloud. Imagine for one moment if that door right there just swung open and the glory of the Lord came in here like a cloud. You might freak out. I might freak out too. We'd freak out together. That would be unexpected. But this manifestation of God's glory was so strong, I'm telling you, it could not go unnoticed. Everyone noticed. It was so strong and it was so thick, this cloud, that your Bible says the priests could not minister. Now, do you understand that at the temple, the priests come there to minister? They minister unto the people and they minister unto the very presence of God. But God's supernatural presence shows up and says, no, no, no. Y'all wait a second. I am going to minister to you and my my presence is going to be upon you and my promise is going to be upon you. And I'm just going to be with you in such a way where you just have to sit back and experience me. That's what God did on that temple. And we have never seen anything else like that in scripture. We could talk about Acts chapter 2 and the amazing things that happened there. But what happened there in 2 Chronicles 5 was such a dynamic manifestation of God. And when we have Zerubbabel's temple being built and it's dedicated, we do not have that supernatural dynamic display 
So I want to just tell you this. More glorious may not even mean a more dynamic display manifestation of God. Y'all stick with me. Thank you. It almost appears like the prophet Haggai may have made a mistake. Do the math with me. The second temple, it's not bigger. It's not more costly. It's not more famous. It's not more supernaturally dynamic. How could it be more glorious? Maybe we have the wrong idea of glory. Maybe we don't understand what God views as glorious. Maybe we don't understand what makes things more glorious. Maybe a really pretty building with stained glass windows won't, in fact, bring more glory to God. My goodness, I'm not against stained glass windows today. I've mentioned it several times. I'm not. It's pretty. I like pretty things. Maybe more money in your bank account isn't what's more glorious. Could it be that we're chasing after the wrong glory? Think about that for a second. Could it be that what you're thinking about and what you're chasing after might be the wrong glory? Maybe we're chasing after the glory of people. Maybe we're chasing after more likes and hearts on our Instagram feed, right? Maybe we're chasing after what other people think about us. And maybe that's not what, in fact, is more glorious. In fact, as far as I can tell, Solomon's temple, the older temple, had more of everything than the second temple except two things. What are those two things? Here they are. Well, the first one is, according to the prophecy, the second temple would have more glory. So that's thing one. Temple number two had more glory. And here's the other thing that happened. I think we could sit here for a while and we wouldn't come up with this. The second temple had more opposition. It had more problems. It had more trouble. Moses built the portable tabernacle in the desert. You can read about it in Exodus. When does he build it? Well, after all of his enemies were drowned in the Red Sea. He had no more enemies left. Now he is on the other side of the Red Sea. And that is when the first tabernacle is built without any opposition. Solomon built his temple without any opposition. His dad, David, defeated all the opposition. And he handed the kingdom over to Solomon without any enemies to bother him. He was a world power, Israel, under Solomon. Wealthy and wise. And he had a united kingdom. No one opposed Solomon. When Moses built, no opposition. When Solomon built, no opposition. But this temple in the book of Ezra, ever since we've been reading on Ezra, every page is filled with trouble. Every page is filled with opposition. Ezra, that temple that you built, it had something Moses and Solomon's temple lacked. It faced opposition. Now, we talked last week 
about the opposition Ezra faced. So I won't dive into all of that again. But check out our website for that sermon. But I do have to tell you that there is glory in a dedicated temple. There is glory in a dedicated temple. I am talking to people who, like Israel, have stood in the spot where a temple used to stand. But now only ruins remain. There are people who stand in the place where a relationship or a marriage once stood. And perhaps you struggle to find the healing that you need. And you think, even trying again might bring you shame. You may stand in a place where your dream once stood. You face embarrassment that your life isn't where others think your life should be. You might stand in a place where a happy life with a good job and a house with money in the bank once stood, but circumstances have changed, and you aren't even sure if that life can be rebuilt. I'm here to declare the promise spoken of by the prophet Haggai, where he says the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house. The glory of the latter house. Everybody say the latter house. Oh, the house that's on its way. The house that we're laying the foundation to right now. The house that we're praying to receive right now. You can rebuild. I'm telling you, you can be rebuild. All those things that you're worried that you can't rebuild, you can rebuild them. Not only that, God says it will be more glorious. God says it will be more glorious. The glory does not lie behind you. More glory lies in front of you. The glory is not in the building with four walls. God places the glory on the people who are dedicated to God in the face of opposition. Dedication in the face of opposition will only bring you more glory. Somebody say, Mo glory. I want to tell you there's more glory in your story. If you stay dedicated, your opposition can't stop you. In fact, the work of the opposition will backfire. Your enemy, the devil, I have seen long enough where he tries to do things that often backfire on him. Anybody think of any uh, examples of that? Maybe the cross of Calvary, anyone? (laughs) The opposition will only bring you more glory. You spend too much time thinking about your opposition. Everybody listen. Front row over here right now. I need your eyes. You spend too much time thinking about your opposition. Think about the glory you are bringing to God by staying dedicated. And think about the glory that is being revealed in you as you stand against your opposition. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, everybody say troubles, are achieving for us 
and eternal glory. Somebody say glory. That far outweighs them all. All of what? All the troubles. Read it again. Verse 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs all of our troubles. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what? is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Verse 17, can I just put it in my own words for a moment? Your troubles, they're only for a moment, but they are achieving a glory that is eternal. Your troubles are are only for a moment. Some people, they're living right there, and that's the sermon they need to hear. Let me tell you, your sermon, your, this sermon right now is for you. Your trouble is only for a moment. Your trouble is only for a moment. It's only for a moment. Some of y'all need to hear this one, that there is a glory coming that will never leave you. It will be eternal. It's glory ahead of you. So for you, you need to stop looking in the rearview mirror and you need to look forward to a promised glory. It's not seen now, but the fact it's not seen now is not any problem because it's eternal. Of course, it's not seen because the things that are unseen are eternal. Eternal. So stay dedicated. Stay dedicated. When you have a trouble, that's going to work for your good. Been reading through my Bible. I love these Bible plans. We just read through the story of Joseph. And Joseph has this moment with his brothers. And he tells his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. He faced these troubles But he stayed dedicated and he stayed faithful to God. He even stayed dedicated to the very people that hated him. The very people that uh, tried to kill him and destroy him. He stayed dedicated. And that dedicated dedication is why we're mentioning him today. He has an eternal glory in heaven. Stay dedicated. Somebody say stay dedicated. Israel came out of exile. And what did they do? They rededicated. Israel dedicated when it would cost them money, when it would cost them time, when it would cost them effort. Israel dedicated even when they had problems, even when they had an opposition. And because of their dedication and God's faithfulness, they completed a more glorious house for God. In Ezra 6, They dedicate that temple for God's use. Ezra chapter 6 verse 14 says, So the elders of the Jews continued to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah, a descendant of Edo. They finished building the temple according to the command of God, of the God of Israel, and the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, Artaxerxes, kings of Persia. Verse 15, the temple was completed on the third day of the month, Adar, in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Then the people 
of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. The people of Israel, not just the king, not just the high priest, not just the educated, I love that part, and the rest of the exiles. Are there any exiles in here? Have there been anybody that you've been kicked around a little bit, that you've had a little bit of loss in your life, that you've had a little bit of ruin in your life? But the rest of the exiles, along with everybody else, celebrated the dedication of the house of God, and they did it all with, what's the word? Joy. The only times Israel fell into trouble is when they lacked dedication. You can look all throughout the Old Testament, and Israel gets in trouble a lot. The common denominator is when they got in trouble, they lacked dedication. They weren't dedicated to the one God. Instead, they served other gods. They weren't dedicated to the command of God. Instead, they wanted to do the other things that they wanted to do. You need a dedication that remains. That remains. What's the rest of that sentence? There is no rest of that sentence. You need a dedication that remains. It doesn't matter what comes. The dedication remains. And here's the problem. Because I've seen many people that have a dedication that remains in opposition. But once the opposition's gone, I've seen those same people lose their dedication. I've seen people, and if you will pay attention, you will see them too. That when a trouble comes, when a problem comes, they come running to God. And they dedicate in that moment. But do they have a dedication that remains in success? See, I've seen people that have a dedication to God when the things are successful. When things are going good. When there's money on the table. When they get the promotion. When everything's going good. But when something bad happens. When they get a bad report from the doctor. When they do have a flat tire. When whatever happens and opposes them. Then they flip back and they no longer remain because they only were dedicated in success. And some people are only dedicated in trouble. But here's the sentence. You need a dedication that remains. No matter what comes, you wake up in the morning with a dedication for God. No matter the good or the bad, you need to be dedicated wife and husband, kids and parents. Be dedicated one to another and be dedicated to God. Are you dedicated to God? Did you wake up this morning with a dedication to God? When we were worshiping, were you worshiping because that's what we do at the start of service? Or were you worshiping because you have a dedication to God? In a few moments, we're going to talk to God. Let me tell you, I don't want you to talk to God because you enjoyed the sermon. I want you to talk to God because you're dedicated to Him. And you can't wait to talk to your Father who is in heaven. We need a dedication that remains even in success, even in opposition. So where are you today? Are you facing opposition? Are you dedicated? Are you experiencing success? Well, are you dedicated? 
Are you dedicated to rebuilding your life? And have you dedicated that life to the Lord God? If you've never dedicated your life to the Lord, now's your night. Tonight, dedicate your life to the Lord. If you have never dedicated to God, you can do it today. Maybe you have dedicated to God in the past. But you know that today, you're less dedicated to God today than you were in the past. What does that mean you should do? That means you should rededicate. That means you should come meet us in this. For more information about redemption, look us up online at redemption-church.com. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or even our anonymous question text line at 214-856-0550. Thank you for joining us, and have a blessed day.